Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Today's a special one. Uh, back by popular demand, uh, we have a special guest speaker, but he's not a guest, he's family. And have you been with us since week one? It's week two. Ah, oh, so close. Um, that's, I mean, that's the garden at Heather Farm. There's only seven weeks. Very few people experienced the garden at Heather Farm. Come on now. Uh, it was our first little place we met uh, as a church. We had seven venues, I think, our first like seven months. It was nuts. Uh, but when we planted Mission Church, you just, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite thing about Mission Church? It's the people. And uh, if you were here uh, a few months ago on Saturday nights, Ian preached a great message. And I really believe the, um, one of the jobs of a communicator is to take the complicated things of the kingdom, because really it's simple, and take those uh, cookies and get them on the bottom shelf so everybody can grab them. You know what I'm saying? Who likes the cookies on the bottom shelf? You know, when you're a little kid, like, I just got to get those cookies. Well, I, I believe that Ian has such a gift as a teacher to take the things of God and make it just so understandable and applicable uh, to our life. And so I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to be sitting in the back, leaning in. I'm going to be hollering back. Uh, amens. Uh, man, this is a, a home court advantage is what I say at church, man. You got people rooting for you. So can we give Ian Longton a warm Mission Church welcome? Come on. Come on. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Ian, as Tyler uh, just introduced. And it is a blessing, truly it is a blessing to be able to speak here at Mission Church, uh, my family and I's home church, my wife Rochelle, our two daughters. Um, love being here, love this church. Um, and, and kind of by way of introduction to this, not only am I grateful that Tyler lets me preach here, but really grateful for this last series that he's done on the book of Daniel, right? Like, let's give it up for Tyler. That, that was a great... Great message, great, great sermon series. And I don't know about you, but I love it when folks preach on the prophets because the prophets are just nuts, right? I mean, are you with me on that? Like their lives are so crazy and kind of intense and weird. And you're like, you did what? There was fire and lion's dens. I mean, it's just nuts, right? So every time the prophets get preached on, I feel like I'm just like, okay, I'm ready. Like bring whatever you got, right? And so Tyler's given us a great message on Daniel and his life. And so I think today's message is gonna pair nicely like a little dessert, you know what I mean? Like a fine dessert to pair with the, 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 the four-course meal that Tyler preached from uh, the book of Daniel. Um, what is, I'm gonna ask you this question, don't answer it, just answer it in your head. You can talk about it later at your small groups later this week or something, but just, just, just think about this question. What is the craziest thing you have ever seen with your own eyes? Like the most amazing thing that you have ever seen with your own eyes? I love asking this question because there's always great answers, right? Like if you're sitting at your small group this week, ask this question because you're gonna hear some fun stories when people start talking about this stuff. Um, I've seen some amazing things with my own eyes. Let me just tell you one story. So I used to surf a lot. I don't surf as much as I used to. Um, I don't call myself any, a surfer anymore, but at one point I might've called myself a surfer. And uh, when I was in college, I would take these like surf trips up and down the coast of California, right? Like just, just get in my, my car and go find new places, just visit old spots, whatever it was. So I used to surf all over California. And one day, I believe it was in the fall sometime, I found myself in this little tiny bay in Carmel, right? Like picturesque, beautiful Carmel. It's a beautiful sunny day. And, and I find myself in this little bay and uh, there's a little wave breaking, a couple guys are out. So I'm like, okay, I'll just paddle out at this spot and see how it goes. So, so I paddle out into this little spot, and it, it's a pretty quiet day. There's not a lot of waves, but there's, there's enough to surf. And, I, and I'm sitting when you're, I don't know if you've ever surfed, but if and when you do surf, you spend a lot of time just sitting there, right? Like you sit, you just sit on the board and wait for something to happen. So, so you spend a lot of time, I'm just sitting there, and you're not really supposed to turn your back on the ocean, right? You're, like there, that's a rule, just so you know. If you didn't know that rule, there you go. There's a freebie right there. Like don't turn your back on the ocean. But I happened to be sitting with my, 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 my face towards the shore and my back was to the ocean. And all of a sudden I heard this noise and it sounded like a hose squirting water. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And I turn around and like maybe like from me to that wall, probably 25 feet ish, there is a humpback whale who has breached, who's come, not breached, but come out. Like his whole back is out of the water. And I just see it in the water, obviously, was like what I heard was the, the spout and it was coming back down. And I'm just watching this thing. And it's close enough to where you're like, should I be afraid right now? Like, I don't think humpback whales attack, but I am like, I'm a little nervous, right? I'm a little, because this animal is huge. 
Like when you get close to them, you're like, oh, like they are huge. And so I see this whole back come out. I look over, there's two other guys surfing with me. I look over and, and we all look at each other with the same look in our face, like, what should we do? You know what I mean? And they kind of looked at me like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't know. So we stayed out. Um, good news, he did not attack me. I was okay, everything was fine. He eventually kind of swam back out. Um, it was funny, after I got out, like the news was there. They're like, there's a humpback whale sighting. So they were all excited about that. Um, but that is one of the craziest things I have ever seen, right? One of the things I've, craziest things I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. The text we're gonna dig into today, if you've been around church, you know this story. If you haven't been around church, this one's gonna be a fun one for you. But the text we're gonna dig into you today, if you were there to see this, this would have been the craziest thing you ever saw with your own eyes. You would have told this story for decades until your dying days, your grandchildren would have asked you, hey, you know, what is the craziest thing you ever saw? And you would have told them this story because today we're gonna to look at 1 Kings chapter 18, a fun one and a familiar one, the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, 1 Kings 18 and we're gonna dig right in here. And before we jump in, let me just pray. Father, we are grateful. Grateful because you love us, grateful because you have called us, grateful because you have saved us, grateful because you have given us your word. And today, here in this moment, we just ask that you would speak to us through the truth of your word. We ask you would bless us in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know, if you've never read this passage, like I said, it's gonna be a fun one. It's gonna, it's gonna be a little bit of a doozy, but, but most of us have maybe have some familiarity with this passage. And I'm just gonna be honest, like when I first got saved and started really digging into the word, I would read this text and it would make me so uncomfortable. Like no joke, like I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like it would actually make me really uncomfortable because when you see what Elijah does and you see how he calls these guys out, you think to yourself, like, am I supposed to have this much faith? Because this is crazy, right? Like, am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to, like, call out the prophets of this world, take them up to Mount Diablo and, like, have some showdown with them? Because this is nuts. But there's something that's uncomfortable about this passage from that perspective, but the same thing is also very intriguing, right? Like, there's something that draws you in about this story. And I think for me, part of it is just this, is that Elijah has this audacity. He has this faith and, and, and it's attractive in a sense, but he has this audacity to believe that God is going to do something, right? He, he just believes it. He believes that God is going to do something. And so he comes with some crazy stuff. And, and the context of this, I mean, there's a lot to this story. Um, and we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read bits and pieces of it for you today. And we'll go in chunks. That way it doesn't just bore you to sleep. But, but the... the um, the, the, the bigger picture that's going on here is Israel has now been broken up into a couple different nations, so there's all kinds of problems there. Um, there's a, a succession of really bad kings in Israel, and one of them is this guy Ahab. So Ahab is now the king of Israel, and he's just a train wreck, to be honest. As a leader, as a, as a man of God, I mean, he's not really a man of God. He's just a train wreck, and he's married to this lady Jezebel. She's kind of a train wreck, too. So just together, they have created all kinds of problems for Israel. They hate Elijah because he's always he's calling them out. And, and, um, and basically one of the biggest problems that they have done is they have led Israel into worship of the Baals. So if you understand the Baals, like it's, it's really like a pantheon of gods. If you can picture kind of Greek mythology or Roman mythology, it's like that, right? It's all these kind of stories about these, these, you know, these gods, quote unquote gods. They're all related to each other. They all fight. They have drama. You know, they kill each other, all this kind of crazy stuff. That's kind of the picture that we have of the Baals. Um, Baal is married to a, a, another god or goddess named Asherah. I mean, so there's just this whole picture of uh, all these gods. And one of the things that happens during this time is God, the God of Israel, brings a drought to the land. And so you picture Israel's a train wreck. The leadership is a train wreck. Um, there's a drought in the land. Like we're in California, so we've lived through droughts. So we're like, oh yeah, drought. No, this is different. Because in an agricultural society, when there's a drought, it's like complete devastation to your economy. There's like famine. Your animals are dying. I mean, like everything is going bad, right? So this is like, this is like real drought in the real world. And, and in this whole picture, God speaks to Elijah and says, I want you to go present yourself to Ahab. That's, that's, that's verse one, if you've got your Bible, right? So you can go look and, 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 he, says, and he says, go present yourself to Ahab. Yeah. And so here's the story. Here's what goes on, right? Elijah ends up going to challenge Ahab and he basically says, here's what we're gonna do. 
I want you to get all the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. That's a lot of prophets, by the way, right? Like 450 prophets of Baal. And the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's a big table, right? Am I right? Like, that's a big table. 400 people sitting at that table. That's more than a table. It's like a cafeteria, right? Like, that's a big table. So I'll get these 850 prophets, and then I want you to go get all the people of Israel. Now, is this all the people of Israel? Is it, is it just the leaders of Israel? I have no idea, but I know we've got at least Ahab, at least the 850 prophets, and at least Elijah. So there's at least 852 people, plus all the people of Israel. I'm guessing that there's at least 1,000, maybe even thousands of people who are being invited up to Mount Carmel. He says, I want you to get all of them, bring them all up to Carmel. We're going to have a little showdown. There's going to be a little action. So he calls all these folks out, and he brings them all up. And there's something really important about this text. And you really don't understand the text unless you understand this, but, but I need you to understand that the goal here, and it's stated in the text. As a matter of fact, let me read it. So it's in verse 21, if you're with me on this. Elijah went before the people, and he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The goal here is to call Israel back to God, right? That's what you need to understand. The goal isn't just to have a show. Don't get me wrong, we're gonna have a show. I mean, there's gonna be a real show. But the goal isn't just to have the show. The goal is to draw the people who have become wayward, who are worshiping idols, to call those people back to God. And so we understand everything in this context based on that idea. And so we're going to look at three things. Three things that I believe are sort of uh, given to us in this text. I'm going to make three simple points. The first is this. God is. The second is God can. The third is God does. God is, God can, God does. We're looking at God as, and I'm, I'm just going to read verses 22 through 29. So follow me here. Elijah says to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. And they're like, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't we do that? Elijah says, to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. And this is pretty funny. He says, since there are so many of you, right? Like, since there are so many of you, I'll let you guys go first, right? So get the bull, prepare it, so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no, no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Whew. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Like I said, the show has already begun, right? Like this thing, this thing has already gotten real. And what we see from the very beginning of this thing is we see that Elijah begins this process by stacking the odds against himself, which is pretty fun to watch, right? Like, I don't know, how many of you grew up playing sports in the streets? Anybody? Anybody just playing sports, right? Like, I played, I played more two-hand uh, two touch football than I can even explain to you. Like, that was our thing. We did it every day. It was weekends. It was after school. I mean, we just did that. We did some street basketball. But, like, when you go through, when you were a kid playing sports with your friends on the streets, I mean, there's a process that you go through just to, like, establish the game. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you've got to pick teams. You've got to figure out who gets the ball first. You've got to figure out the boundaries of the field. I mean, there's this whole process in which you are, like, it's like a college-level negotiating class that you go through where you're, like, working with these folks, you know, trying to fight for what's in the best interest of your team. And what's interesting is Elijah would have been a terrible teammate because he just gives everything over to the prophets of Baal. Just everything. I mean, he's already outnumbered, right? I mean, he says it. I'm the only one left. 
And there's 450 at least of the prophets of Baal, another 400 prophets of Asherah. So it is now 850 to one, plus all of Israel is now on the side of Baal. I mean, it's just me. So he stacks the teams or he allows them to stack the teams. And then he gives them first pick. You get to choose which bull you want, right? Like, I don't even know how that process goes. You know, like which bull do you look is more flammable? You know, like this bull over here. That bull looks healthy, you know what I mean? Good, strong coat, you know, maybe like been hydrated well, but this bull, that bull's looking a little dry. I think that's the one we want. You know what I mean? Like, like, like how do you pick a bull? But he gives them first pick. He says, pick whatever bull you want. I don't care. And then he lets them go first too, right? It'd be like as a kid, you're just giving up all the, all the everything to your, to your opponent, uh, the, opponent, the opposing team and saying, look, you get the ball first, you get home field advantage, you get all this stuff, just take it all. And so he stacks the odds against himself in verses 21 through 26. And then what we see is Baal gets to go first, right? So we see this, 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 whole, this whole thing. I mean, this is where the show really happens, right? It, and it says that Baal's prophets danced around hooting and hollering from morning till noon. And, and I was really curious. Like, when they say morning, like, what, what are they talking about morning? Are they talking about, like, 9 a.m. morning or are they talking about, like, 6 a.m. morning, right? Because those are different morning times, right? So I did a little research. I didn't come up with anything that was absolutely clear on this. But, but generally speaking, it's somewhere in that range, right? So, so from morning till noon, so at least three hours. I mean, at the very least, three, maybe even as much as six hours. But, but, but let's be honest, right? Like, three hours is plenty. Right? It doesn't need to be six hours to be crazy because three hours of watching these guys run around in circles and scream, at the, you know, scream up to Baal, like that's plenty of time, right? And that's plenty of time for Baal to respond. So this thing takes place all morning and these guys are making this huge show and, and, and in the middle of this thing, it says that Elijah began to taunt them. And this is everybody's favorite part of this text. Let's be honest, right? Like, this is the funniest part of the text. There's some humor in this, so we can laugh at this. Um, Elijah, in this moment, begins to talk trash. And I actually, I actually in studying this text, um, one of my favorite commentators, who was like an 18th century Scottish guy, so it's, he's a little out of context, but he, um, he says, you know, Christians probably shouldn't, like, he doesn't say talk trash, but that's basically his point. He says, Christians probably shouldn't talk trash. And maybe he's right. I mean, there's like, you know, sort of innocent trash talking when you're just playing something with your friends or whatever. But, um, you know, in general, maybe it's, it's true that Christians shouldn't necessarily talk trash because we're trying to be Jesus to the world. But, but if I'm going to give anybody maybe a pass on this, I'm going to give Elijah because he is outnumbered. Like the whole, the whole thing is against him. He's given them the ball first, everything. And so he starts to mess with them. And there's some sarcasm in this. I don't know if you picked that up, but he says, shout louder. Surely he is a God, right? There's some sarcasm. Now raise your hand if you like sarcasm. Anybody love sarcasm? Okay, these are my people, right? Like, I, I, I love sarcasm. I've learned that not everybody loves sarcasm. The word sarcasm comes from two Latin words. It actually means to tear at the flesh. So it's actually like a tearing at the flesh with words. Um, and and my, my wife has taught me that it's not always helpful. It's not a, it's not a good communication tool. Um, <laughs> My daughter, who is 14 and wonderful, she even actually will like grab me and be like, dad, that was sarcasm and that doesn't communicate well. Like, so like people call me out now and, and I, um, I'm learning not to be as sarcastic. But when you're sarcastic and when you love sarcasm, you think that sarcasm is just like an elevated form of, of, of communication, right? Like you really do. You just think you're witty. I'm like, I'm just witty and insightful. That's all I, that's all this is. And you just aren't understanding what I'm trying to say right now. Uh, but the, real, real, the reality is, is that sarcasm is um, not always helpful. <laughs> but in this particular text, what we see is Elijah being sarcastic. And what he says is, surely he is a God. Let me just translate that for you. Surely he's not a God. You're screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering for hours now. And the reason no one's answering it's because there's nobody there, right? Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy. Or maybe he's traveling. Or he's sleeping and must be awakened, right? What Elijah is doing in this moment is he's suggesting human limitations, right? If he's deep in thought, then he probably isn't omniscient like the God of Israel, Right? If, he, if he's traveling, then he is bound by time and space. He is not omnipresent like the true God of the universe. 
And so, yes, he's messing with them. Yes, I don't necessarily blame him for that. But what he is doing is he is pointing out the absurdity of their idol worship. Surely he's a God. No, actually, he's not a God. He's nothing. He doesn't actually even exist. And you guys are wasting your time screaming at this thing. And what's crazy is their response. Because I'm just thinking to myself, man, there's 450 prophets of Baal. There's another 400 prophets of Asher. There's all the people, of you know, all these Israelites that are there. I got to believe that one person would have stopped and said, you know what? I think Elijah's got a point. You know, like that's, that's you know, I, I hear him being sarcastic, but I think he's, I think he's onto something. Like, this is crazy. Don't you guys think this is crazy? Like, wouldn't you think that just one guy would be like, don't you guys think this is crazy? Like, we're just screaming at nothing. Um, what, what's interesting, right, is that Baal was actually the god of storms. So every time, and there's supposedly a lot of lightning in this area, so when lightning falls, they always attribute it to Baal. And so they, they just think like, oh yeah, it's easy. It's a no-brainer for, for Baal to just like send fire from the sky and like consume this bull. Like that's, a, that's not even gonna be a problem for him, right? And so they've believed this lie long enough that nobody even stops to think, wow, this is crazy. And what's even weirder is Elijah who says, hey, maybe you should shout louder. Verse 28, so they shouted louder. Oh my gosh. Like, oh my gosh, like that's how crazy this thing is. Like they've been screaming for, for hours now. And Elijah's busting their chops. And what they do is they take his advice and actually shout louder. Hey guys, you know what we need to do? We need to turn the volume up on this party. That's what, Bao just, Bao just can't hear us. We just got to get after this thing. So they go, like they were already nuts and they go into like full nuts mode. They shout louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, right? So, I mean, it's funny, not funny, right? It gets funny, but it's also sad. It's funny, but it's also like kind of depressing and scary when you think about it. Like they, they thought, you know what we need to do? We need to scream louder and we need to get out our, our weapons and start slashing ourselves. And that's craziness, right? The destruction that they're doing to themselves, the destruction, the pain that they're causing themselves as a result of their own idol worship, right? Just, just hear that, right? And what's even crazier is it says, as was their custom. This is normal for them. This is what they do, right? Like, this is how they operate. We're going to slash ourselves. We're going to cut ourselves. And it says, until their blood flowed. Midday passes, and they continue their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. That I had a better, better uh, luck with in, in my research. That's probably around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Which means they've been going at this thing all day. And probably the best, the best part of this whole thing. There was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. You know why no one paid attention? Because nobody was home. You're calling a number that's been disconnected, right? Like Baal's not a god. He's a deified comic book character, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't actually exist. I mean, you have a better chance or, or maybe just the same odds, right? Like the same statistical odds of, being, of calling out to like Obi-Wan Kenobi or Captain America or Kermit the Frog as you do as Baal actually answering you because there is no possible way that a God who doesn't exist can answer your prayers. And, and it's easy to look back on this stuff and say, well, yeah, that's crazy, right? Like they, they were worshiping like images and idols made of stone and clay and, you know, statues and these stories that were created. But we don't struggle with idol worship, right? That was sarcasm also. Sorry, I apologize. That was sarcasm. <laughs> right when I said it, I was like, that wasn't good. Okay, bad communication. We do struggle with idol worship. That's how I should say it, right? We do, right? There's still a modern idol worship. But it's not statues, um, it's not comic book characters. I mean, there might be some with all these people who love Marvel so much, but I don't hate Marvel. I'm not here to trash talk Marvel. Like, but they're, they're, it's really not all of that, right? Like, what do we worship in the modern day? Well, it's fame, right? It's this, this ideology that we can somehow get enough followers or we can, get, we can get this and then people will know our name, right? Like, there is always going to be, I don't care what, what season of humanity we are in, what season of, of history that we are in, there will always be a temptation of the human heart for personal glory. Right, so fame, fortune, right, money. We're all tempted by that. Fame, fortune, power, pleasure. Like these are realities of the modern world and these are our idols. 
These are what we go after. These are what we are tempted to worship. So even though we're not worshiping Baal or some pantheon of false gods, we are still worshiping things that are false. We are still putting things in this world in the place of God. Nominally a thousand years after this was written, after this story took place, John says to the church in 1 John chapter 5, it's the very closing verse of 1 John. Chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Right? A thousand years later was still a problem, and it's been 2,000 years since that that was written. It's still a problem now. The reality is, is we will always take things and put things in the place of God. We are always going to be tempted to do that. And so this, these, these sort of prophetic warnings, both from Elijah, but then also from the book of John and really from all of Scripture, is keep yourselves from idols. I'll just tell you this. If you are worshiping a God that you can see, then you are not worshiping the God that can see you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Right? There is a qualitative difference between those two things. Because God is alive. Baal's not alive. God is alive. Wealth is not alive. God is alive. Being an Instagram influencer, that's not alive. There's no way that these things will solve the problems, the deepest problems of the human heart, but God has solved those problems. On the cross, Jesus has solved those problems for all of humanity. And so the reality is, is that we always need to kind of put ourselves in check. And what Elijah really is saying is like, Israel, why would you give up Truth for a lie. That all of his sarcasm aside, that's what he's saying to, to the people of God in this moment. That's what he's saying to the nation of Israel. Why would you give up truth for a lie? Why would you give up fact for fiction? And, and even more so, hear this, why would you give up faith for a set of fairy tales? Right? Why would you give all of this up for something that has no reality, no, no grounding in reality? And so Elijah just begins his whole thing presenting the idea that God is and Baal is not. The second thing he says is, or that, I mean, he doesn't necessarily say it, he shows it to us, is that God can. So starting in verse 30, Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, right? So get closer, let's gather around, right? I'm not gonna cut myself with a spear, just come, come gather around. And they came to him and he repairs the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With these stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sails of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it out on the offering and on the wood. Apparently they did it because he says, do it again. He said, and they did it again. He says, do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, this is where I would just say, like, have you ever known that person who just has a little bit of like a flair for the dramatic? Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, just, just like, maybe they even want to tell you, they want to try to convince you that they don't love drama, but like, you've seen it go down. You've seen it happen. Like, you, you kind of like it. You're, you look at it a little bit. Like, you're open to it. You know what I mean? You're willing to deal with drama, right? Like, that's kind of how I see Elijah. Like, I, I think he has a little bit of a flair from the dramatic, for the dramatic. And so in this moment, he's like, right? Like, we, we're, we're familiar with this story, but he's like, he's like, get us some water. Pour, just soak this thing down, right? And that would have been enough. Like, I think everybody would have gotten the point. He's like, do it again. Right? And then, and then that would have been enough. But he, like, at this point, you're also getting a little bit irritated. You're like, really, Elijah, we got to do it again? Like, how many times are you going to do it again? Right? So he does it three times. And the altar is soaked, which is nasty because it's like a bull that's been cut into pieces. And now it's all soaked. And, I mean, this is just, it's, it's a weird picture. But there are three prophetic statements. And these are, these are huge. Like, these are really, really important ideas that, that Elijah, I believe, either intuitively or just intentionally is trying to demonstrate to the people of Israel that we can glean here. There's three prophetic statements that are at the heart of what he is doing, right? The first is when he rebuilds this altar, right? We might just look over that and say, well, he needed an altar, he had to build it, but he didn't just build an altar. And notice that, I mean, he, could, he had all day. I mean, literally, he had all day while those guys were carrying on. He could have been building that altar, 
But he waits until the end. He waits until it's his moment. He waits until it's God's turn. He says, okay, look, here we go. I want everybody to come around and I'm gonna rebuild this altar. And he rebuilds, he gets 12 stones and he builds this thing back together. Why? Because Israel has been broken apart. It's been devastated. And this is a prophetic statement that if God is going, if, if Israel is going to be restored, God is the only one that can do it. Baal can't do it. I guarantee you Ahab can't do it, right? Jezebel can't do it. Asherah can't do it. All these other things that we put in place hoping for the prosperity of Israel, they can't do it. But I'll show you who can. And he puts the stones in place and he sort of gives testimony. This was the God who called you out of Egypt, right? This is the God who, who formed Israel. You, this is Jacob's sons. These are the 12 tribes. And he rebuilds this thing as a prophetic statement to demonstrate the power, the restorative power of God. The second thing he does is with the water. And the water really sort of has two points. It really has two points. It's obviously for, like for the dramatic, right? It's obviously also to make the job harder, which we'll talk about in a second. But part of it is, don't forget, there's a drought, right? There's a drought in the land. And if there's a drought in the land, guess what's your most precious resource? Water, right? And I always wonder, like, where'd he get these 12 jars of water? Like, was there, like, was there a spring on the mountain? Maybe. Did they have to, like, cart it all up? Like, I looked up, what did jars look like in this time? They're just, like, these big clay jars, maybe about this tall. Um, they don't carry a ton of water, at least not by our standards, you know. But, but, but for this time and place, like, in this period of time, when there is no water, and technology is certainly not what it is today, it's a lot of water. He says, give me four big ones. Dump it on the altar. And he has them do it three times. And each time, I got to believe the people of Israel are thinking, man, I could water my animals with that. I could water my children with that. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I could take a bath with that. Like, there's, there's just so much we would do with that water. And it's got to look wasteful. But here's what Elijah is saying. Because remember when I said that Baal is the god of the storm? It means he's the god of rain, too. And for three and a half years, there's been no rain. And so what Elijah is literally saying is, guess who's going to bring the rain? Guess who can restore all of these problems? Guess who can solve all of this for us? It's not Baal. It's not him. But he knows. And this is a prophetic statement. I mean, this is a line in the sand. He's like, God can do this, and I'm not worried about it at all. I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but you should read it later tonight. Go home and read the end of the story. A rain cloud comes and, and appears over the horizon on the water and comes in and rain falls on the land for the first time in years. So God, so what, what Elijah is literally saying with this whole water thing is, look, God can provide. As he builds the stones, it's God can restore. As he gets the water, it's God can provide. But there's one other thing, right? We already talked about how, how Elijah was stacking the odds against himself, right? And there's more of them. He gives them the ball first, the whole bit. But now he's increasing his level of difficulty, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's making this even harder. Like, like the prophets of Baal had all day. And, and in theory, if he's the God of lightning, like, he could have just sent lightning at any point. But what Elijah's doing is he's saying, look, let's make this as hard as possible. We're going to make this thing just nasty and just soaked with water. And we're going to make this as crazy as possible. Why? Because God's not intimidated by any of this. Right? God's not intimidated by the drought. God's not intimidated by, by the water in the trenches. God's not intimidated by a soaking, a soaking altar. He's not worried about any of this. God didn't look down from heaven and be like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to handle this, a lot of water. You know, like, like God, God didn't like look at that and think like, wow, these circumstances have made it really difficult for me to do this for the people. You know why? Because God's not concerned about that. We are, right? We are. Like if I was there, I'd have been like, that's a lot of water. You know what I mean? Like, I would have said, I would have said, that's really wet, Elijah. That's a lot of water. And you even got water soaking up the ground right there. I mean, this is crazy, right? I would have said that because when, when things get difficult for us, solutions become more, more, more advanced, right? The solutions to solve these problems in the worldly, kind of in the worldly way, these solutions require more of us. But this doesn't require more of God. He's not, he's not intimidated or worried about this, right? Like, here, just, just, just let this blow your mind for a second. It would, be more, it would be no more difficult. It would be no more difficult for God to soak up the water in that trench than it would be for him to soak up the water in the Pacific Ocean, right? 
I don't know what that would look like. And Lord, please don't do it. But, but in reality, like there is no, that's not like a, a degree of difficulty issue for the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. He's not looking at this altar thinking to himself, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Elijah is helping the people to see that God is the one who will restore. God is the one who will provide. And God is the one who has power over this physical world, including your circumstances. One of the things that I think we can be reminded of, and not just with Elijah, but really with any prophet, is just God's mercy in all of this. And this is really sort of what I, what I want to like emphasize right now is just, is we look at the prophets sometimes as truth tellers. And don't get me wrong, they are. I mean, we need prophets. We need those truth tellers. We need the people who, who are in the church to call out the body of Christ uh, back to the heart of God. And, and we need people to tell us when we're getting off track. And that's sort of one of the roles that the prophets play in, in Scripture. But, but we often think of them as being truth when reality is that the very fact that God has sent them is an act of his grace and mercy. Just remember this. It was not God who abandoned Israel. It was Israel who abandoned God. Israel was the one who walked away. Israel is the one who got hung up with the Baals. Israel is the one who started looking to this pantheon of false gods, this, this group of deified comic book characters, and started looking to them. And God could have just said, you know what? I'm done with you guys. Because this is an ongoing issue. Like, if you've read the Old Testament, like, this is a problem, right? You guys, it's like every once in a while you get on track, and then you get off track, and then you get on track, and, and this just keeps happening. And at, and at any point in time, God could have said, you know what? I'm fed up. I'm tired of it. But in every instance, even when God has to really challenge the Israelites to sort of get them back, back on track, like three and a half years of drought, but every time when God has to do that, it is in his mercy that he does that. It is in his grace that he sends Elijah to do this, right? Elijah's not here to bring wrath. He's here to bring the truth, which is an act of God's grace. And really what he's doing right now is calling the people of God back to God. Anytime we see this, whether it's in the Old Testament, whatever, like we need to, especially in the Old Testament as we see these stories, we have to understand that all of this stuff just points to Jesus. Because even today, it's not God who's abandoning, abandoning us. It's us who are tempted to abandon God. Right? It's us. It's our issue. It's not God's issue. It's our issue. And, and, and God has sent us in Jesus, in the cross, in the death and resurrection of his son, he has sent us the final solution to this problem, right? It says that the prophets really, like in the New Testament, it says prophets really long to see sort of what is the fulfillment of all the things that they were being called to talk about. Well, Jesus is that fulfillment, right? And as much as God can restore, Jesus has, is the one who brings that restoration, Right? In, in, in as much as, as God is the one that has the power over this world, Jesus has the power over sin, death, and the devil, and he is the one who has brought the ultimate solution to all of humanity's problems. And so even in this moment, we see that these prophets point us forward to Jesus. Even in this moment where Elijah is trying to demonstrate to the, to, to the, the people of Israel that God can, we remember that God did it in Jesus. And so God is, God can, God does. Verses 36 through 39. So at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It's interesting that Elijah starts his prayer, right? Like, like there's an anticipation in this moment. I mean, just try to think about what you would feel like in that moment. Like it, maybe if you're not Elijah, maybe you're just a person in Israel who's just there, or maybe you're just a fly on the wall. But I mean, it's been all day. People gotta be tired. I don't know if they had enough lunch for all these folks. Like you've just gotta be like weary at the end of this thing, right? And, and now here comes Elijah's turn and he goes through all this drama and all this water and all these prophetic statements. And then here he comes and he prays and there is just a lot of anticipation in this moment. And he starts his prayer 
by saying, Lord, you are the God of Abraham. You are the God of Isaac. You are the God of Israel. What he does is he begins his prayer anticipating that God is about to do something, but reminding probably himself and even the people of God that, look, God already did something. God already saved you. God is the one who formed this nation. God saved us from Egypt, right? Like God has already done this. Don't forget what God has already done in the past as we look for what God is going to now do in the future. And so he prays this prayer with an anticipation that's based on what he knows God has already done. And then here's one of my favorite little nuggets in this text. Because remember I told you earlier that this text used to make me uncomfortable, and that's true. Because I was always like, man, that's crazy. Like, how do you have that much faith? How do you just muster that up? Like, how do you just know that you can just like call down fire from heaven? I mean, that's just nuts to me. And, uh, and here, here's the secret to the whole thing, right? Here's the secret. He says, look, let it be known today. Let it be known. This is what, this is what <laughs> like Elijah's calling out God. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, not Baal, and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. This was not my idea. Right? Like, I did all these things at your command. You told me to do this. I'm up here only because you told me. Right? This is not my idea. I didn't just muster this up. I didn't draw this out as like a schematic or a strategy. Like, this is what God has said. And then he's like, look, and this is, again, all this anticipation. Right? There's probably a little bit of desperation in his voice. He's like, answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you are the God of Israel and that you are turning their hearts back again. Answer me and show these people. Answer me and show these people. Look, here's the thing. I truly believe with this whole thing that Elijah was just doing what he was told. It's crazy. It's dramatic. It's nuts, right? It's a little bit insane. But Elijah was just doing what he was told. Where did he get the faith? He got it in the promises of God. God just told him what to do, right? God said, look, I want you to go present yourself to Ahab. I want you to go up onto this mountain. He just went up and did it. Faith finds confidence in the promises of God. Faith finds confidence knowing that God has worked in the past, that he is alive in the present, and he will work again in the future, right? And so he walks into this, probably a little bit nervous. It's probably a little bit crazy for him, but he walks into this whole thing with an audacity and a confidence based on what God has spoken or showed him and spoken to him. What was Elijah's goal? Let's remember it from the beginning. It was to reveal that the false prophets of Baal and the false prophets of these world are not real and just really kind of reveal the true nature of idol worship and to draw the people of God back to himself. And God himself accomplishes this. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried in the Lord and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. God consumes the altar with fire and does everything that Elijah just asked him to do. And here's the trick, right? Here's something really interesting to think about is just picture yourself, in your mind, just picture the contrast between the all-day drama of the prophets of Baal and how hard they worked. I mean, they, worked, they put in a lot of effort on that, you know what I mean? Like, let's just give him a little credit. They put in a lot of work on that and, and, and Baal never shows up, obviously, because he can't, because he doesn't exist. And that, I mean, he, like, literally, like, Elijah's like, yeah, I'm gonna put these rocks in place. I'm just gonna pour some water on this thing. I'm gonna pray and then just boom, like that. It's all over with because God doesn't need a show, right? He doesn't need a whole bunch of stuff. All he needs is some folks to be obedient and faithful to what God has called them to, right? And, and here's where I think that we can really glean from this, right? Like, how do we get that audacity? How do we get that faith? Is, is look, just remember what Elijah is saying in this. Remember that God has already worked. Always remember the things that God has done in your life, right? Always be willing to recall the testimony of how Jesus touched you, about how he grabbed a hold of you, how he redirected your life. And then in that, just be faithful and obedient to what he's saying to you in this season. That's all you gotta do, right? You're not the one who's gonna send fire from heaven. You're not the one who's gonna consume the altar. You're not the one who's gonna draw the hearts of people back to God. That's not your job. Your job is just to be obedient. Now, maybe it gets really crazy and you end up on Mount Diablo with the prophets of, the prophets of money or the prophets of atheism or something like that. Maybe it does, I don't know. I mean, it hasn't happened to me yet, but the reality is, is God is just asking us to be faithful, just asking us to be obedient. And I believe in that God will show up. That's, that's sort of one of the points of this. Like God does. 
He will show up. And I just wanna, I wanna like maybe present a little bit of grace in this moment because I know that there are folks here and myself included who have gone through a season in life when God didn't. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, have you, have you been through that season where it's like you were looking to God? I mean, you were crying out to God and, and you needed God to show up and, and he did not do what you needed him to do. That's just gonna be like, unfortunately, like we admit, we believe that God does, but we also know that the circumstances of this world are just, they're just a pain sometimes. And, and we are left to suffer the hardships of this world to some, some regards, but that's why there's hope in this text. That's why there's hope, because what we believe is that we are not left just to suffer in this world. We are left with the hope that God who is alive can and does. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do in your life. It's not my job to know. I don't know what he's going to do in this church. It's not my job to know, but I know he's going to do something, right? Because I just, I just know he's going to do something. He's always done something. He's always up to something. He's always doing something. And his promises never just like go away. And so I know he's going to do something. So I, I, I told you a little bit earlier about a, a time that I had an interaction with a, with a humpback whale while I was surfing, well, about probably about, I don't know, it was probably about five years ago now, a buddy of mine um, was like, hey, let's go surfing. I was all right, all right, let's go surfing. So we went out, again, it was on a fall morning, probably real close to mid-October, and we go out to um, Pacifica, which is right by San Francisco. And we go out there, um, if you've ever been out that way, a lot of people call it Taco Bell Beach, because there's a Taco Bell right there. Um, it's great, because you can score some Taco Bell after you surf. Um, the real name of the beach is Lindemar, just in case you want to know that. It means pretty sea in Spanish, in case that means anything to you. But um, it's a great beach, so there's always a lot of people out there. So we go out there on a Saturday morning. You go out to Lindemar on Saturday morning, there's like 200 people surfing at Lindemar. I'm not joking. There's so many people in the lineup. If there's any waves at all, you go out there, there's just tons of people, just all the way across the beach and they're all out there surfing and so we get out there one day and and we're getting ready to uh we're ready to paddle out and kind of go check the surf and we're looking out and I look way and it's pretty far out but I see a bunch of humpback whales just kind of swirling and and they're way out there there's birds in the air and there's humpback whales just kind of cruising around like that's amazing man and we watch that for a minute and we go get our wetsuits on we go out and we're surfing and, and and this time partly because I wanted to watch the humpbacks and partly because I did learn my lesson not to turn my back on the ocean. So this time I'm like watching out on the ocean and I'm just watching these humpbacks. And, and like I said, when you surf, there's a lot of time to just sit. And so I'm just sitting there and, and there's nothing happening and, and I'm watching and, and you know, there's, you just see a humpback breach or, or you're not fully breached, but like you just see one kind of his back come up every once in a while. And, um, it's pretty, it's pretty, well, it's pretty. That's what it is, it's beautiful. Like it's, it's pretty amazing to see. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there and I'm just watching and I'm not really even thinking about it and I'm just kind of watching and no joke. I mean, again, it's pretty far out. It's much closer than the, the 25 feet of my first experience, but it's pretty far out. But all of a sudden, this whale comes straight up out of the water, like full breach. I mean, I didn't see his tail, so it wasn't like straight all the way out of the water, but like he comes straight up out of the water. And I am like, like I get excited about things. And so I see this, I throw my hands in the air and I start yelling. I'm like, Wah! you know, like I get all excited about it. And, uh, and, and this, this whale just comes all the way out, just majestic and beautiful, falls down, big splash, the whole deal. And I'm like, I'm like amazed. And I look around me and nobody else seems to be as excited as me. So I'm like, I'm like, whatever, you guys don't see this every day. Like this, you, you act like I'm stupid or something. But, it, but I was just so excited. And the reason I tell you that story is because sometimes we get to a place where we think that all of God's movement is in the past. We, we harken back and we think like, oh, God was really doing great things back then, right? Pre-COVID, God was really moving. And so then we start to think, well, well, maybe we're just stuck in this season and we stop, to, we, stop, we stop remembering, we start to forget and we get stuck in this thinking that God's not gonna do something in the future. But what I'm here to tell you, what Elijah reminds us of, reminds us of in this moment is that God still does. God still has something for you. God still has something for this church. God still has something for this area. God still has something for your family. Like, like we get stuck thinking that God's not gonna move, but I'm telling you right now that God will surprise you in the way he moves. 
Just the other day, I'm on the phone with a buddy of mine who grew up in church by his own words, said he never heard the gospel. I think it was preached. I just don't think he really heard it. You know what I mean? But, but he, he got older. He went the ways of this world. And I'm telling you right now, I had a phone call with him. We've been, he and I have been processing this for the last like two years. Like he is literally on the cusp of just quitting his job and going full-time in ministry. And this was a man who I literally, we were friends back in the day. And I literally thought to myself, I'm like, I don't know about him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. He's gone, like, he's gone way over there. And like, he's now like just floored by the reality of God's grace in his life. God still does, right? And, and if I could predict to you what it is that what God was gonna do, then A, he wouldn't be God, and B, maybe I would be, I don't know. But, but in, in the reality is like, I can't even begin to tell you the amazing things that God can still do in your life, in your family, with this church, with this area. Like, I just can't even begin to tell you. But what I do believe is this, is that if God has spoken to us, which he has, then we just need to be faithful to the things that he has promised us. We just need to be obedient to the, to the things that he has promised us. And in that, we might find a little bit of that faith and audacity that Elijah had to believe that God is gonna do something. I'm gonna ask that you close your eyes, bow your heads. Maybe you're here tonight and, and, and maybe, maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard some of this stuff or this is the first time that, that you've even heard about Jesus or maybe you've been hearing about Jesus for a while and you've been wondering about that. And if that's you, I'm wondering if you're starting to see the difference between the gods of this world and the God of creation. The God who offers you salvation. Or maybe, you're all, maybe you've been a, a, a Jesus person for a while. Maybe you've been in the church for a while and, and you too have started to look to the gods of this world. You've gotten distracted by the gods of wealth or the gods of fame or, or the God of whatever in this world and you've taken your eyes off the one true God of the universe. If either of those descriptions are you and you just wanna give that back to Jesus tonight, if you wanna accept Jesus for the first time today, if you just wanna to, to, to give yourself to Jesus and put aside the gods of this world, or if you wanna just kinda of rededicate or repurpose your life to Jesus today, just go ahead and raise your hand. Just go ahead and raise your hand. I see that hand, thank you. I see that hand. Just raise your hand, I see that hand. Let me just pray. Father, we, we come before you Again, coming before you because, because we know, we know that you are a God who saves. You're the only one who's worthy of hearing this out from us. The gods of this world, Lord, we just cast them aside right now because we know that they cannot answer our prayers. They can't even hear us because they don't exist. But Lord, I know, I know that you hear our prayers. I know in this moment, you, you, you hear the desperation of our hearts. God, I know in this moment, in this time, you saw the hands that were raised. You know what's going on in the hearts of the people here. And you know, God, that you are gonna do something. And so, Lord, we just, we, we, we proclaim that to one another. We receive that from your word. Um, we honor you, we praise you, we worship you because of your goodness and your promises, knowing that even though we are subjected to the circumstances of this world, that you can still intervene and that you will do something in and with us. And we pray that with, with joy, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.